0: I've come to realize that like it's okay to be very ordinary and to like not have to i don't know go overseas or like have big adventures or anything like that like there's there's something there's there's a lot of value I think in an ordinary life
1: Hello, Internet. You are listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. Um, I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning novelist, uh, best-selling humorist, and I, I guess now I can technically say award-winning humorist as well, but that's just, uh, that sounds weird if I tack it on to the end. Um, but yeah, it's true. i um, my uh nonfiction book that came out last year murder bears moonshine and mayhem that uh got an honorable mention nod from the people at readers favorite which is probably not all that impressive but it's technically an award of sorts i think um so yeah maybe check that check that out if you haven't um someone thinks it's good anyway um Yeah, once again, I've plugged it a thousand times on this show. I might as well plug it again. It's called Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Bemused, and Hopefully Informed. Um, Published by a Christian publisher, but written with a general audience in mind, it is for anyone who wants to learn more about the Bible. Um, I took kind of a quasi-academic approach to it, uh, citing, you know, contemporary scholarly sources along with the Church Fathers, the uh, rabbinic tradition, um, so yeah, it's uh, you know, it's jokey, but it's also a, a serious take on an ancient book. Um, anyway, the conversation you are about to hear has nothing to do with any of that. Um, I talked to film critic Rachel Welch Larson. She's written for sites like Bright Wall Dark Room and Think Christian. And we talked about how she came around to accepting the fact that she will probably live in the Midwest for the rest of her life. Um, I know to some people that sounds like a fate worse than death, Uh, but I'm living it. I'm living the nightmare right now. No, it's great. Um, But yeah, she has roots mainly in the Pacific, uh, Hawaii, Seattle, places like that. Um, Never thought she would end up you know, in the middle of the plains, Uh, but here she is living in Chicago um, and pretty content with it. So it was actually a really interesting conversation. I enjoyed it. I think you're going to enjoy it. I'll let Sarah introduce herself and I will see you on the other side.
0: Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Sarah, of course, is a fairly distinguished writer on film, has written for Bright Wall, Dark Room, and Think Christian, just made her debut with RogerEbert.com, and is the author of Becoming Alien, with a subtitle that I can't remember and even she can't remember. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll have to see if I can remember it. Uh, the beginning and end of evil in science fiction's most idiosyncratic film franchise. I think I got that right. There it is. There it is.
1: I don't know if you know anything about my bibliography. My most recent book was called Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Bemused, and Hopefully Informed. I love
0: it. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, long, long subtitle club. Actually, my title was pretty long as well. Um, yeah, tell,
0: tell the people so. what they're getting right up front. I say we bring <laughs> back all of those like 1600s book titles where like the entire title takes up the whole page. Takes up the whole
1: page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Mal Flanders is one, one of those. Is like it, the whole plot of the book is in the title. You know, I
0: love it. I'm here for it. In, in which a young man goes on an adventure and meets up with something and like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, anyway, Congratulations on debuting with uh, RogerEbert.com. Thank
0: you. It was exciting. Yeah. Exciting. I got got the opportunity to write about uh, a Nicolas Cage movie, which is something that I never really expected to do. Um, I mean, who who,
1: who among us doesn't want to be writing about Nicolas Cage all the time?
0: I realized like, as I was writing it that like, oh no, I should just be writing about Nicolas Cage. It's time to pivot away from science fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Just go, go Cage. Go full Cage. It'll be great.
1: So I'm curious. Um, did you see Pig?
0: Since I did. We're talking about
1: Nicolas Cage and yeah. what's the verdict on Pig?
0: Loved Pig. That was actually the uh, the movie that I wrote about for Roger okay. Ebert. Yeah. Okay. And uh probably my favorite movie of the entire year so far. That's it's it's so a really high bar. Mm-hmm.
1: I saw it and I did not get what I was supposed to like about it.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: Like it and it, I mean part of it might have been that, you know, when you when you say this is a movie about Nicolas Cage trying to save his truffle pig like the the entire internet is going to be like well this movie's going to be a hilarious thing and it it's not that obviously
0: yeah yeah um, and it, that's what I liked about it was that it completely <laughs> subverted any expectations I had about it like I feel like it was sold as John Wick and yeah it's, it is like the most opposite of John Wick that you can possibly get
1: it's it's like John Wick if they took the premise as seriously as possible mm-hmm. or some something in that neighborhood I I don't know. And part of it also may have been that I had a lot on my mind, but I just, I ended up feeling kind of bored by it. I was like, Mm. this is an interesting character, but I don't feel like I'm actually getting to know this character. I don't know.
0: Am I way off?
1: Like, did I just not understand the brilliance of Pig?
0: I mean, I I guess it depends on like how into slow cinema you are, I suppose. I I don't know. Like, yeah, I I was definitely like in the mood for it and didn't know that I was in the mood for it when I was watching it (laughs) because I was expecting something more like fast paced or even scary or something. Yeah, yeah. And then like this movie just sort of knocked me back on my heels. And like, as soon as I figured out that it wasn't going to go the obvious route, I feel like I was on board with it because I was just excited to see where it was going to go next. And like. I don't know. I'm I'm also a big fan of like talky movies where people just like sit across a table and like stare at each other a little bit before they like get to their <laughs> point. So yeah. if that is your thing, Pig is definitely going to be your movie.
1: I mean, maybe I should give it another shot. I don't know. Like, I have no issue with slow cinema. I love Ozu. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, may, may, maybe I, I was just in the wrong frame of mind. But um
0: yeah. The framing Man, was, was a little weird, like speaking of Ozu, like it doesn't look like an Ozu movie by any stretch no. of the imagination, so yeah, I don't know. There was some shaky cam stuff, but there was a lot of
1: shaky cam stuff, which mm-hmm.
0: I, think I thought that went out you of... in his head space, I but I thought that yeah. went out
1: of style like ten years ago, but apparently not. I don't know that's not
0: yeah <laughs> How green grass is back, everybody <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, well, um, Sarah, I'm so excited to have you on the show um. Excited to be here, and yeah, um, as I understand it, what we're going to talk about is how you changed your mind about living in the Midwest. Now, I'm someone who's vaguely Midwestern. I don't, I don't know if I'm actually Midwestern or not. I was, uh, I was born in New England. Actually, did most of my growing up in Nebraska, mm. um, which most people, most people consider the Great Plains, the Midwest, right. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, together, it's like
0: controversial depending on which Midwesterner you talk to. Yeah. I mean, like,
1: I I feel like there's the Great Plains and there's the Great Lakes, and an awful lot of people want to call them both Midwest, but they feel very different to me. I don't Mm. know. Anyway, Mm -hmm. and then before coming to Wisconsin, I lived in Tulsa, Mm. Oklahoma for like a decade, and I have no idea what Tulsa is. Like, it's like, that's
0: not. Definitely, it doesn't feel Midwest to me, but it also doesn't yeah. feel South.
1: Right. It's, it's kind of at the crossroads of like all these major recent regions, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's vaguely South, vaguely Southwest, vaguely Midwest.
0: About as close to the center as you can get, I guess. Oh, I guess yeah. Yeah. I, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, when people have asked me to describe Tulsa culturally, I've always said it mostly just feels like a post-apocalyptic Austin. You know, I like I'm sure everybody from Texas wants to punch me when I say this, but Oklahoma feels like it's part of that broader Texas region culturally. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever that is, although I've had I have heard people insist that Oklahoma or at least the Tulsa part, the Tulsa portion of it is part of the Midwest. I don't know. Anyway, now I'm in Wisconsin, so I guess I'm very
0: squarely midwestern yeah
1: i mean i I guess you know after 20 years in nebraska and another four in wisconsin i might as well just admit that that i'm i'm midwestern i don't know Mm -hmm. um but we're not talking about me because i'm boring i want to talk about you Let's, let's start with the beginning. Where are you from? How has that impacted you? And how has that led you to originally be skeptical of living in the Midwest?
0: Yeah. Well, where, where are you from is one of those questions where I never really quite know how to answer um, because I am what is commonly known as a Navy brat. So uh, I grew gotcha. up literally all over the country. Um, so I consider myself to be from three different cities, um, Honolulu, Seattle, And Chicago now, because that's where I live. That's actually where I've lived the longest, like in any one stretch. Um, Sure none of those are the city where I was born. I was actually born in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, So like literally all over the place, California, Rhode Island, like I lived in Dallas for a summer. I've lived in Memphis. Like I have lived all over the United States. (laughs) Yeah, but I spent all of high school in Honolulu, which is why I feel comfortable calling that one of my hometowns. Someone's got to do it, I guess.
1: I mean, who wouldn't want to live in Honolulu during their high school years? It was
0: pretty incredible. I learned how to drive- (laughs) on fort island um you could see the arizona memorial from our house because we lived on base yeah yeah and then um went to school in seattle because i needed to get about as far away as possible without like i guess like leave the state anyway without getting so far away that it was going to be i don't know across the country or something when you're in hawaii everywhere is far it's literally like a four or five hour flight to get anywhere um (laughs) so yeah grew up grew up there went to Seattle. And I think at the point when I went to Seattle, like that was the first time that I had the opportunity to choose where to be from. And I already knew at that point that I loved being by like oceans and giant bodies of water and mountains like Hawaii. It's literally the two directions are Malka, which is uh, towards the mountains and then Makai, which is towards the ocean. Um, So I knew that I wanted both of those in whatever environment I ended up in. Um, I didn't really want to be in California for reasons I can't even remember, Um, but I knew (laughs) I knew that I wanted to go to college in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. It was like the one main part of the country that I'd never been to before. So um, I actually uh, accepted an offer um, to go to my college sight unseen like I had never even visited the state at that point. And when I was living in the Pacific Northwest, I mean, I fell in love with it instantly, like pines and mountains and the Puget Sound and like the ocean and everything and just all of the lakes. And so... One of the like most formative parts of being there was realizing like this is the environment that I love, like this feels like it, I don't know, vibrates on the same frequency that I do in some sort sure. of a way. So I just, I always sort of envisioned myself either living in the Pacific Northwest or living in someplace like the Pacific Northwest. And I guess there's like another piece of background there too, is that when I went to college, I went with the intent to get a degree in linguistics so that I could become a Bible translator. So I was always expecting to go overseas at some and end up somewhere like with a high language density that didn't have a ton of like languages that had already been translated um, at that point. And most of those are either in Papua New Guinea, or Southeast Asia or in Mm. West Africa at this point in time. Mm. So I was always expecting to be near the ocean, like no matter where I ended up, I guess. Um, So it just felt like it was a strain, like, I don't know, it it felt normal to want to live by such a big body of water. And I couldn't really imagine myself living elsewhere, like anywhere else, really.
1: You finished college in Seattle.
0: Finished college in Seattle. Yeah. Then what? had a gigantic identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we uh, all do yeah. at the end of
1: college, right? Like We I mean.
0: definitely do. This one was pretty brutal because I realized my senior year of college, even before, um, graduating that like, Oh no, wait, I don't want to be a missionary. I don't want to be a Bible translator, but I'd realized it after the deadline for most grad school applications had passed. So, Mm -hmm. um, at that point I knew that I needed to take a year break and figure out like what else to do or to Mm -hmm. find a job. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. there was also a shooting at my university, literally like the day before what was supposed to be my last day of classes. So, yeah. So I was dealing with that. Um, and uh, also a breakup and then also this like idea of wait a minute this thing that i've been working towards since i was 14 is suddenly not the thing that i want to do anymore so just like all of those all at once mm. um made that final year in seattle kind of a really rough one um And so I knew that I needed to get out and go somewhere else because I wasn't really sure like what to do or where to go. And I figured like a change of scene was going to be ideal. And it's funny because because growing up in the military, one of the things that my mom always said was like, if you can give somebody directions without having to look at a map, it's time to move. And mm-hmm. I had already passed that milestone like years before. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> so I figured like it's time for a new start. Might as well like go and move somewhere. So I, I got I did get into a grad program after one year off and it happens to be a, a one year master's program in Chicago. So huh. I figured, well. I'm not I I didn't get into any linguistics PhD programs which was what I had been gunning for. I might as well do this and see how it pans out and then maybe apply for for PhD programs later on down the line. Spoiler alert, academia is not for me. <laughs> um, but that's how I ended up in anyone these days. Yeah, definitely <laughs> it's it's certainly not geared for anybody to succeed. It's it seems like
1: I mean give, given the astronomical costs that is still spiraling out of control and how unlikely it is to lead to employment it's Mm -hmm. like i don't know why anyone goes to higher education these days
0: (laughs) yeah and that's funny because like the program i was in was sold to me on like this will make you a more like appealing candidate for phd programs and the vast majority Mm -hmm. of people who went through it nobody applied or didn't get in like it doesn't really give you much more than a very expensive piece (laughs) of paper um (laughs) so.
1: so this was a this was a program in what now
0: uh, this was a program in the humanities. It's one of those like MFA alternative programs. I still did right. it in linguistics. Like I, I focus mostly it. in linguistics, but I also took a feminist sci-fi course because if you're in a one-year master's program, you might as well have fun while you're at it. Why not?
1: Yeah. yeah. So this is what brought you to the Midwest originally. That was this master's program. I assume since this is what we're talking about, there was a hesitancy there about moving to the Midwest. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think my, my stereotype of the Midwest, and this is completely unfair because again, I lived in Memphis for three and a half years when I was (laughs) in high school and that's not the Midwest, that's the mid South, but like, I feel like I felt like so much of the Midwest was the area outside of Memphis, like a lot of flat hills and like either cotton or corn or soybeans or something. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Very flat. Um, And I guess I had kind of a bias towards like flat land just because I liked mountains so much. I mean, um,
1: it's boring. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, what do you, what do you do with flatland?
0: You yeah, you, you build I mean,
1: fields for sports games. You definitely drive
0: I, through <laughs> it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. which
0: I have gotten pretty good at. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I I was hesitant about that. I was hesitant about moving away from a city culture that I feel like I got on a level that I hadn't really ever gotten in any of the other places I'd lived. Like Seattle, there's this thing called the Seattle freeze where like you talk to somebody and you act all friendly and then like you never speak to them again. (laughs) Um, You say you'll make plans and you say you'll get coffee. And then if the vibes are off, you just never have to talk to that person, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which was very much me in college. Um, So I had a lot of misgivings about like moving someplace where I didn't really understand the culture. I'd never lived in a city as big as Chicago before I'd been to, I'd been to London. I'd been to a couple of other cities that were quite big and I'd felt very uncomfortable there. I'd felt overwhelmed Mm. by just the number of people and like all of the options and the public transit and everything. Mm. Um, So I was hesitant And my assumption when I moved to Chicago was that I was going to do my master's program and I was going to move right back to the Pacific Northwest immediately. Like, Mm -hmm. I just always thought that that was going to be the case. Maybe I would get into a program at University of Washington or something um, and just get out. Like, I, I didn't really, I mean, it is also a little bit unfair of me to say that the Midwest is boring because my dad is from the Midwest. He's literally from central Illinois. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, well, and I know that there are some people out there, like there are some Midwesterners who will say like, Chicago, isn't the Midwest. It's its own thing.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> or Chicago, isn't Illinois. It's its own thing. Um, yeah. and to that, I say, my father is from Peoria, Illinois. So I have Midwest in my blood.
1: I mean, Peoria is literally the synecdoche people use for the Midwest. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the... <laughs> will it play in Peoria?
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the most average town in the United States. I mean, I had family in the state, which helped a little bit because my grandparents were a couple of hours drive away. um, And I was semi-familiar with central Illinois because of visiting them. But I wasn't so sure about this idea of like going to a city where I knew literally nobody to do a program that scared the hell out of me (laughs) um, (laughs) in order to try getting into a field, like a job field that I already knew was really hard to break into. Didn't realize just how hard until I did the the master's program. Um, I just wasn't really sure like what I was doing with my life. So I figured like I might as well like throw something in the air and see if it sticks. Um, Fully expecting it to not stick and fully expecting to just move back to what felt safe and familiar and comforting and I don't know, like, like a place that, I don't know, a, a, a place that like, I don't know, my heart felt right in. Um, hmm. And I wasn't sure that the Midwest was going to be that because I sort of had these preconceived notions about what it was going to be like. It, it was, it was a weird, I think I surprised a lot of people when I, when I said that I was going to be moving to Chicago. And I think a lot of people, a lot of my family included, just expected me to immediately move away as soon as, <laughs> as soon as I was done with my program. <laughs>
1: But then you finish the program mm-hmm. and you don't move away.
0: No. Yeah. A um, couple of things happened. Um, part of it was that first winter. I've been told that that first winter that I spent here uh, was actually a pretty mild winter, but it was a rough winter for me mm-hmm. because I was not used to snow yeah. um, or the cold um, or anything like that. And also it was a nine month master's program where I had to write a thesis. Like mm-hmm. it was brutal.
2: Yeah, um,
1: I mean, when you said one year master's program, I was like, hmm? yes. <laughs> like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I don't think, but uh, it
0: sure was. It sure was a choice. And I am I, really glad of the education that I got when I did it. Like I would not be the person or the thinker that I am today without that yeah. education. Um, I'm also really glad I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> and I'm not sure that I would wish it on anybody, yeah, especially my, not the student debt.
1: My wife did a I think it was a 15 month bachelor's program like, like a BSN uh, nursing program. And that was,
0: that's incredible. You know, that was miserable for both of
1: us, you know, (laughs) (laughs) making sure she got through that and didn't die was like a full-time job in itself. Um, So yeah, nine months for, you said nine months for a master's degree. That's just nine months. Yeah insane on the
0: quarter system. So like 10 week quarter. Yeah. 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 No, September to June. Um,
1: So how many hours at a time was that then every 10 weeks?
0: Oh gosh. Um, I think I was taking the equivalent of like 15 to 18 credit hours. Wow. Um, Yeah which was, I mean, I was used to that. My undergrad was on the quarter system and I had about the same course load, but it was still pretty intense. But if it's
1: master's level material, I mean, that's another.
0: (laughs) So much reading. Like I thought I was a good student before I came to uh, (laughs) my master's program. And then I realized I was just good at taking tests and I had not really learned how to study. I did learn how to study uh, that year and uh, it was very intense and very difficult and, um, Thankfully I had like a few good friends that I made very, very quickly um, who were a good support system. Almost nobody, there was one other person who was in the linguistics track and everybody else was doing things like English and poetry and comparative literature. And like, there was an ethnomusicologist which was really cool. Um, right on. So like a nice spread of, of people with various interests. Um, and that was definitely like that support system really helped keep me going. But um, a couple of things happened. Um, I did not like living in Chicago for the first six, seven, eight months almost, (laughs) Um, but a couple of things happened. And the first one was that spring came around. Um, Mm. And I actually like, I can remember the moment where it happened because I was crossing, um, there's this uh, section Uh, called the Midway um, near the campus where like you just walk across like a grassy area and it feels like a wind tunnel during the winter. So I was walking from campus to my apartment and I was used to being just freezing cold. Mm. Um, And I was walking across the Midway uh, one day and the breeze was warm Mm. and like I had a moment where I was like, well, shoot, like I'm actually going to make it through the winter. And like, I hadn't (laughs) known that it was a question at that point. Like, um, but Winter ended and spring came, which was really nice. Um, uh, And then also I fell in love, uh, which is definitely like a good way to convince someone to stay anywhere, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I met my husband. Um, He was doing a grad program at a different school, um, actually on the other side of the city. So we were like a three train romance for a hot minute. Yeah, I don't know. Summer in Chicago, like when you've just fallen in love is like incredible. Like it's it's Mm. one of the best experiences in the world, I think. Um, so after, after I met him and after like I graduated, I hadn't really planned for any career or anything like no Mm -hmm. job prospects by the time that I graduated. So I'd, I'd landed an internship that did not pay the bills. Um, but I knew that I wanted to stick around at least for a little while and like see where this relationship was going. Um, and then also. I discovered Chicago in summer is just amazing. Like you can Mm -hmm. bike places and you can Mm -hmm. go and see people. And there are like, there's these food fairs and like all sorts of things. There's this literature fair that they do in printers row, which isn't too far from where I live. And like, Mm -hmm. you can go and just like, look at all of the used books that everybody is selling for like literally city blocks. and just realizing how much more there was to the world outside of grad school mm. um, was really, really helpful. And it helped that um my now husband um also wasn't from Chicago. So we were able to explore the city a little bit together as well. Um, like we would meet in the middle and we would walk around. Um one date we met at a pizza place and then got kicked out because we were spending way too much time in there just talking to each other and like not eating pizza. (laughs) And then we literally walked around the entire loop, like the entire downtown area. Like we walked all the way to the lake and then we walked up the lake to the Chicago river. And then we walked and looped back all the way around to the Chicago river back down to our respective train stops, Um, which was incredible. Like great way to see the city. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, gosh. Um living in Madison, you know, I'm two hours-ish north of Chicago. And there is always a time every year in, you know, late March, early April when you are absolutely convinced you will never ever be warm again, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then it gets to like mid-May and it suddenly it feels amazing. And you're like, I never want to leave this place. Like,
0: oh yeah. <laughs> the day when like the weatherproofing comes off the windows, like when you can take all that plastic yeah. wrap off, <laughs> greatest day of my life every single year. It's, it's amazing. And every year, like, I don't know, I feel like for a stretch of winter, I decide like, actually, I hate it here. I don't want, I don't want to be here
1: anymore. I mean, there's always that time from like,
0: it's awful. Know,
2: Late
1: awful <laughs> jam-
0: well, it's, it's like,
1: I'm far from the first person to comment on the absurdity of this. Right. But like. The winter solstice is, it fall, usually falls 20th, 21st, 22nd, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's three months of winter and like the one big winter celebration, of course, is Christmas, which is like
2: right two, there. three days into winter yeah.
1: and then it's over. And then there's like three more months of winter. It's like- and you what? have
0: to deal with February. Like the only good thing about February is that it's the shortest month of the year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> man yeah the winter winter's is brutal um but summer I don't know it keeps me keeps me here at least for now it
1: absolutely makes it worth it mm-hmm. you know um I I always tell people because I I moved here after like I said uh 10 years in in Tulsa you know and I always tell people I would always 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 take a Madison winter over a Tulsa summer you mm-hmm. know um, mm-hmm. cause it's that, you know, it's that dry Southwest kind of weather where it's like for basically all of July, all of August, you're talking about 110 degrees or more every single day. And Brutal. it's like, you, you walk outside and it's like, why are you trying to kill me, son? Why do you hate me?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's been very hot here for the last week. And it actually almost kind of feels like home in a way too, because I am used to, or I, at least I grew up used to 80 degree weather with like 80% humidity. So yeah. yeah. And it's, it's funny. My endurance is not nearly as good as it once was. Like I used to be able to like <laughs> run around and like play sports and stuff in that. And I I can't anymore, <laughs> but it still felt kind of like home. And for a minute there, I was like, I, I kind of miss living in Hawaii. And then I remembered like, actually, no, I don't miss that <laughs> at the same time.
1: So. Okay. So before we talk for Talk for like an hour about the weather because I'm sure mm-hmm. people want to listen to that. Um, <laughs> do we want to? Why don't we touch on the on the culture thing? You were talking a little bit about uh, what did you call it? The Seattle freeze. Is that you Seattle call
0: it? freeze? <laughs> yeah.
1: So, how, what is it like going from that to quote unquote Midwest nice or whatever they call it?
0: It's so weird. I mean, so I I, f- <laughs> I feel like the United States is on like this spectrum of. Friendly and very standoffish and like polite, but we're not going to engage with you. To we will be in your face and we will be rude, but <laughs> like, I don't know, um, we'll be upfront about it. I don't know. And like the yeah. Midwest kind of feels like it's right in the middle of that like continuum of kind of polite, but also like very honest, like and upfront. Yeah. I think. And it threw me off, like, it threw me off when I first visited the city because I visited for like a couple of days before I permanently moved out here. Um, (laughs) And all of the Uber drivers were really friendly and that was not what I was used to. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Um, I don't know, it it felt like everyone was telling me their life story like right away. And maybe that's because I was also feeling particularly like friendly and like outgoing and trying to like put my feelers out and understand the place a little bit more. Like I'm definitely not the kind of person who tends to entertain full conversations (laughs) like with strangers in cars much.
1: Hey, thanks so much for listening to Change My Mind. I will get back to this conversation real quick, but I want to take a minute to tell you about our brand new Patreon. Um, we are a listener-supported podcast. Everything we do is paid for with donations. You can go to patreon.com changemymind change and support us. Uh, Supporters get all sorts of cool benefits, including early access to episodes, VIP access to meetings between me and my producer, and uh, access to bonus episodes as well. One bonus episode every month. Um, This month in September, our bonus episode is this really fascinating conversation I had with Tasha Robinson, who's a film critic, about how she came around to appreciate horror cinema.
2: But I work with a guy named Scott Tobias, who I still podcast with uh, on, a, on a biweekly basis. And we call each other frenemies because we disagree about just about everything. In <laughs> and one of the big things is he loves exploitation cinema. He loves extreme cinema. Um, mm. he, he loves movies that the rest of us call torture porn. Mm. And he would write some very intelligent things about some of these movies about specifically the, the hostile era. How we were really channeling our our fear of torture um, mm-hmm. because of some of the things going on in during uh, George W. Bush's presidency mm-hmm. you know, the question of like, it's come out that America is torturing people. What does that mean about us as uh, a a group of people? What does that mean about us as a country?
1: To hear the rest of that conversation with Tasha, along with all the other bonus episodes we'll be doing this season, please go to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash change my mind, where you can become a supporter of the show for as little as a dollar a month. Thank you so much to all our listeners and supporters. And I will go ahead and flip you back over to this week's episode.
0: But it was a bit of a I don't know, like Seattle is like a tech city, and Chicago mm-hmm. still feels very blue collar in a way. Yeah. like you mm-hmm. you have the business uh district like downtown, and of course, it's also like a huge theater town. um but Chicago feels a little bit more willing to like roll up its sleeves, I guess than mm-hmm. than Seattle mm-hmm. does um and to like well there's
1: not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, high tech industry in Chicago, right? Like it's, it's very much like packaged goods and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've got like Boeing, I guess. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. still, still a very different um, a, a different environment and like still also a major shipping hub as, as well too. Like I mm-hmm, literally live sure. on top of some train tracks and I can see the freight trains go by every single day. Um, and that just wasn't something that you would get in Seattle city center at all.
1: That actually sounds awesome to me. It's I imagine, great. I imagine it keeps a lot of people awake at night or whatever. But I, I'm the sort of person who sleeps right through that sort of thing. Um,
0: yeah, I kind of like it. I'm, I, I love like being able to see the commuter trains go by. And like when COVID started, it was nice to have that reminder that like, oh yeah, there were other mm-hmm. people that existed out there, even <laughs> though like most of the cars were empty.
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
0: Yeah, but we also like live on top of the metro tracks and unfortunately we're at an angle or like we're in a section where there aren't any switch heaters and every winter i feel a little bit cheated because like do you know what switch heaters are
2: i don't okay
0: in the winter when the tracks get really cold you have to set the tracks on fire to keep them from freezing up and like causing train crashes so there's a switch heater that literally like you turn it on and it sets sections of the track on fire
1: (laughs) that is Um, really interesting
0: it's pretty awesome. I mean, that, um, that's,
1: that's pretty metal. not going to lie.
0: <laughs> it definitely is. And unfortunately the stretch of track that we're on, you can't see the switch heaters. So I always um, feel a little bit cheated every winter because like, <laughs> I don't know, I want to see some fire. That'd
1: be cool. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? Right on. Yeah. I feel like there's the North, you know, like the North part of the U S where for the most part, people don't care if you live or die. Um, mm. and, it, and if you, if you're in Boston, they'll tell you that to your face gladly mm-hmm. every day. Um, <laughs> and then there's like I
0: love Boston, they're great
1: Yeah, I know I, 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 was, I was born not far from Boston So um, I can say that, I think I was actually, I was born in Fall River, Massachusetts um, oh, okay. Which is the, the land of Lizzie Borden So um, nice. I feel like that, that's licensed to do pretty much anything Up to and including murder my parents um, <laughs> Who are hopefully not listening right now I love you mom and dad <laughs> um, <laughs> And then there's, there's the South where people like act nice, but you know, they're talking behind your back. The second. Oh, honey, bless your heart. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: It's Mm -hmm. like
1: this passive aggressive sort of nice. And then there's, there's the Midwest where you, you get there and you're like, why is everybody so wait? Are they actually nice? Like, Mm -hmm. is this real? Like (laughs) people actually like me, even though they don't know me, like what's going on here? You know, Um, it's a, it's a very weird feeling. Um, and you know as we were saying, Tulsa is not particularly Midwest. It feels, you know, culturally it feels much more Texasy. Um, you know, having lived there 10 years though, I got I came back to the Midwest and I was like, I completely forgot about this. Like actual nice people are me. <laughs>
0: like Yeah, yeah. And I, like it's it's not just like uh we're being nice because like society dictates we have to be or something like it, no, it doesn't like, feel like a checking in the some,
1: box something in the air that makes people genuinely care about each other which I don't yes. I don't know where it comes from like is it just because there's nothing to do here so we have to like <laughs> we have to like talk to people for fun <laughs> I mean I say that but actually there's quite a bit to do and
0: there's so much in, uh,
1: yeah I mean in Chicago definitely in Madison as well there's like like people go you know, there's, there's two huge lakes in the middle of downtown here. Like there's kayaking in the summers, ice skating in the winter, you know, you don't even have to leave town. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And even if you want to leave town, like, I don't know, I, I enjoy spending time, like camping up in Wisconsin mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, just getting, even just getting out of Dodge and like going over to the other side of the state and spending some time in an Airbnb still feels like it's Part of, it, it's it feels like it's the same culturally, even though like it feels like it's worlds away. Um, I don't know. We we went out to um, it was a converted Airbnb that had been a one room schoolhouse that was built in like the eighteen seventies or something. Um,
2: That's
0: cool. it was awesome. Um, and just like sat in a couple of chairs for a couple of days and like watched the stars overhead and everything. And everyone was still super like same level of super nice, but also remote not remotely like Chicago in any way because it just felt so still (laughs) and people like there's this level of like politeness and stillness and like maybe it's maybe it's a level of contentment that I don't think that I had fully grown into yet until I'd moved out here um Mm. just like this this level of this is the way things are and this is the way that things are gonna be so we might as well like get along while we're doing it Mm. if that makes sense. Um, or at least that's the impression that I've gotten um, from living around here. And then from the time that I've spent in central Illinois as well.
1: Interesting. How much do you think that's the Midwest vibe on the one hand? And how much do you think that's maybe just growing up, like, you know, <laughs> getting out of your angsty teens and twenties and becoming a becoming an adult? What do you think?
0: I definitely mellowed out a lot after grad school. So that's probably yeah. part of it. <laughs> Um, but I think if I had been in like a high pressure environment, like up until now, I probably would be a lot more neurotic than I am. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think it helps that I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by other people who are also like content, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think
1: of the I think of the Pacific Northwest and Hawaii though, and I definitely don't think high pressure environment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you've got Amazon in Seattle now. I guess that's um, true. Yeah, and uh, I have opinions about that. <laughs> um, and then yeah, I don't know. Hawaii is interesting because I came to it as an outsider, military family, also um, very white. So howly uh, is the word for it, um, mm-hmm. and. It was a great, again, great place to grow up. I feel deeply uncomfortable um, with the idea of like moving back there again, just because of the level of like colonialism that it took to get us to this point. Um, Like,
1: I mean, there's an argument to be made that that's true of all of the U.S.
0: Literally all of the U.S. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I think culturally, Hawaii is a little bit like, Hawaii is less white, I think, than a lot of other mm-hmm. parts of the U.S. At least that I've lived in, um, and there are parts of the state where it's it's very like abundantly clear, like no, you stole our lands, and like mm-hmm. you shouldn't have, like you were wrong to do so, and it's there, it's absolutely true. Um, I don't know. I think I was a little bit more aware of it there than I was anywhere else in the states, and again, that's probably also partly just where I've lived elsewhere mm-hmm. around here too. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Let me ask you this. How do you deal with the lack of mountains and ocean? <laughs> I mean, is is Lake Michigan a or Michigan, right? Yeah, was, it's like I always Michigan. mix up my Great Lakes. It's the same lake with where near here. Um <laughs> is Lake Michigan a, a good substitute for an ocean or
0: it's close enough. Um <laughs> it's close enough. It's freshwater, uh, which feels weird. Um yeah. It's, I mean, it's still like occasionally it, the lake smells like the lake and that's a very unique smell. Yeah.
1: Um.
0: I kind of miss I'm not, like. I'm not
1: crazy about the freshwater smell, honestly. Like I'm, I, I like li- the smell of the ocean. I'm not crazy about the smell of lakes.
0: <laughs> it took some getting used to. So I think part of the, part of the reason why I like it is because there's a little bit of novelty there. Hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. It also helps that I can't see to the other side. So that's like about as close to an yeah. inland sea as I'm going to get. Um. <laughs> I do miss being able to like just jump in the water whenever you want. Like you can't really mm-hmm. do that in the Pacific Northwest because it's as cold there as it is here, but lakes close, still not quite the same mountains. I miss something fierce. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: even just like driving up North to Wisconsin, like I feel like once you cross the border and like the Hills start to roll again, yeah. you realize yeah. like, Oh no, wait, I missed this. And this isn't even mountains.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So I don't know. I try to make a point of getting out of, town and and out of state as much as I can in order to be able to go see Mm. more mountains. Like when Mm. we, when we went on our honeymoon, we went to Glacier national park and and went Mm -hmm. hiking. Um, I do okay with it though. And I think maybe the tall buildings help a little bit because it doesn't quite feel like the sky is so big. (laughs) I have a sneaking suspicion that depending on like wherever we end up next, because we're thinking about buying a house at some point Mm -hmm. in the near ish Mm -hmm. future. Um, depending on how many other like buildings or trees are around, I might have a harder time with that. Um, For whatever reason, like big open sky and flat land leaves me feeling almost exposed, I guess. And like Uh one of the best parts Uh about living in Seattle was that it was like living inside a bowl. Like you have mountains (laughs) on both sides and then there's water at the bottom. And that just feels more secure to me for whatever reason. And then also, I guess the knowledge that like you drive for 20 minutes and you're out of the city and you're in the middle of nature and there's nobody else around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely something to be said psychologically for what topography does, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, if there are big hills around, it's like, there could always be something interesting over the next hill, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, At least that's how I think about it. You know, if if you're in a flat space, you're like, well, I can see for miles and there's nothing.
0: It's corn. That's that's depressing. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's funny though. Cause like now, every time I leave the city, like I drive a little ways, get out of like the Chicagoland area, like get past all of the, there's, there's these like restore hair billboards all around here. like. (laughs) urlacker from from the bears um once you get past those billboards and like get out of the city a little bit like i always catch myself thinking this is genuinely beautiful Mm. and it always surprises me because i never expected to be struck by how beautiful the midwest like actually is Mm. um and maybe maybe it's because like i've finally been able to accept the fact that like i don't know there's there is an inherent beauty to like rows and rows of corn or something mm-hmm, or or mm-hmm. like of of trees that like just look ordinary. I don't know. Like I I I grew up thinking that like the best possible topography would have to be either pines or like tropical flowers or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking, I guess maybe I'd internalized somehow that like oaks are just inherently not interesting because they're ordinary <laughs> trees or something. Yeah. Like you look at it and it's still, I don't know, it's still it's there. It's gorgeous. It's mm-hmm just something that I think I took for granted for a really long time.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And now that I've come to realize that like, it's okay to be very ordinary and to like not have to, I don't know, go overseas or like have big adventures or anything like that. Like there's, there's something there's, there's a lot of value, I think, in an ordinary life that doesn't really have like a lot of flash to it. Like there hmm. it it feels good to be content in that and to sit in that, I think. Um and I think that's really what like really brought me around to the idea hmm. of like living out here, whether that's in Chicago proper or outside it or central Illinois or or wherever that ends up actually being. But I don't yeah. Know. Yeah.
1: That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the boring people keep the world going. Right? <laughs> yeah,
0: they sure do. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. My day job is for an industrial supply company, which is like not remotely what I ever expected to be doing with my life. It's like Mm -hmm. being excited about things like screw threads or ball bearings or whatever, but like, (laughs) it's genuinely fascinating work. (laughs) And it's also the stuff that like keeps industry moving. So it's, it's also useful and important, even if nobody actually cares like what material, like an O-ring is made (laughs) out of except me.
1: <laughs> I actually spent a couple of years uh in Tulsa working for American Airlines. Oh, as, oh okay. As a parts purchaser. So, I've been oh, kind of wow. on the other end of that, I think. Um.
0: Huh. Small world, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, like and you know, like I I took the job cuz I needed a job and at first I was kind of rolling my eyes at you know what it entailed, but you know I kind of I eventually got into it. Like, oh, it's it's actually kind of cool. Like that there are all these very specific parts that do all these very specific things and
0: mm-hmm. keep
1: the plane in the air. Like <laughs> people like planes. People like having them in the air. Um, mm-hmm.
0: It's it's nice not dying on your on your trips. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of planes, um, before we before we uh, get to the. Last ha- last uh, third of the show. Do we want to talk about the flyover country thing for a oh, second? I um, want to fight
0: everybody who dismisses like Middle America as flyover country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: I, I, I'm never hundred percent sure um, when someone calls it that. Like, I mean, they they could be talking about several things. Like, is is it the idea that there's nothing interesting out here topographically? That there's nothing to do? That there's something? Uh, how do I want to put this? Some, something unpleasant or, or uh, simple about the people. Like, I don't, you know, it's, I guess it can mean all number of things. Um, I mean, do you still, do you have a lot of friends on the coast? Do you get that attitude? <laughs> Sometimes, I don't or?
0: really get that attitude. Okay. No. Okay. Um, I do, I do still have a lot of friends in um, Seattle and then all over the place. Like I've, I've family on both coasts. So um, sure. I mean I, I I get the instinct to fly like this is a big country it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to drive across mm-hmm. it um but I do have a hard time with people who just like dismiss like, I, I guess my problem is is twofold because I have a hard time with people who just straight up dismiss like the Midwest and fly over country outright. I also have a hard time with people who are like, oh, I'm going to, like, I'm from New York and I'm going to go to the Midwest and I'm going to write a think piece about like, actually, oh, yeah. everybody out here has toothbrushes too or something oh, like, that. Like, like that. Like, that also is a whole like,
1: genre of.
0: It New makes New me Times so articles. angry. Yeah. It's so reductive <laughs> and it's so stupid. <laughs> And it's just as bad as if like, I don't know, you went to another country and you were like, surprise, they have electricity here. Like it is so <laughs> dumb. Um, yeah, no, I I have a lot of beef with both of those attitudes. <laughs> um, but I mean, I feel like I entertained some of them at the same time, like personally, like I I assumed that if it was, I don't know, ordinary. And in the Midwest, it just wasn't like a life worth living necessarily. I think on Mm. some level until I managed to come out here and see for myself, like, no, this is, this is totally good and fine and interesting, um, Mm. and ordinary. And that is okay. You know,
1: if we have listeners living on the coast who are rolling their eyes at flyover country, what would you say to them? I'm just curious.
0: I mean, uh, first of all, fight me, (laughs) but also i don't know spend some time in flyover country like go somewhere mm-hmm. where you wouldn't really like necessarily like think to go like mm. i don't know don't just go to like chicago or or something like go so, go somewhere else go to omaha like mm. go spend some time in, in i don't know like grand rapids or something yeah. like yeah um spend i don't know spend some time like getting to know a place that is completely mm-hmm. different from your own yeah mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: There's a world-class zoo in Omaha. Um, like literally. Like it's, Amazing. Frequently shows up at the top of like the these lists of the world's best zoos. So anyway. Excellent. Um, which yeah. I spent like a, you know a hundred days of my childhood there because I grew up in Lincoln. But um, is anyway. it one of
0: like is it like a really really big zoo I'm assuming? Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I mean it's it's like, you know, there's the San Diego Zoo. There's like the DC Zoo, the Smithsonian mm-hmm. Zoo, whatever it's called. And then there's the Omaha Zoo. And those are like considered like nice. the apex of American zoos. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So.
0: That's incredible anyway. to like grow up near, near something like that. Like, yeah, we lived I in, it, yeah, we, we lived in like um, Memphis when I was in middle school and they also have like a really nice zoo as well. But like, right on, yeah, that's right fantastic. On.
1: Yeah. Um. Gosh, I was going to say something and now I can't think of what it was. So I'm just going to move on. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Podcast. I used to, used to listen to uh, the cracked podcast back when cracked was a website still worth Mm. reading. Um, So this was like, (laughs) gosh, this was like four or five years ago now. Um, But I remember an episode once where um, one of the hosts uh, said something like, you know, Europe has these student exchange programs where people from one country will visit and, you know, student from one country will visit another. Um, and she said, I think, I feel like we need something like that for North America, you know, like, cause we're the U S is a huge country and you know, people, most people don't leave their hometowns or, you know, don't go far from their hometowns. And we really don't, understand each other because we never visit each other or some, something like that I don't know
2: mm, mm.
1: um just like an intra country international exchange program I don't know anyway um
0: cross-state or something there you like go. that yeah, yeah
1: yeah send kids from New York to Nebraska or something mm-hmm. um <laughs> I don't know let me ask you this uh aside from your new beliefs themselves or your new understanding of things um What'd you learn from the experience of changing your mind?
0: Mm. Oh God, this is going to sound like really pretentious. Um, I guess that like identity is kind of malleable um, mm. and can change. I, th- I think so much of my identity was caught up in this idea of like where I was going to live, whether that was mm. like, Oh, I'm from the Pacific Northwest or Oh, I'm from Hawaii. Like, um, or, Oh, I'm going to go live overseas and be a missionary. Um and so much of my identity was like, I'm going to live here, but not there. Mm. And then realized like I ended up living in like the one place that I never expected to end <laughs> up in <laughs> and loving it and realizing like this thing that used to be a core part of my identity is kind of tangential to a lot of other things right now. Um, and I think learning to be a little more comfortable, I think, with that change was really helpful. Um and also good for just getting used to like other other things that I was learning about myself, like diff- different ideas about like what I wanted to do with my life, like what job I wanted to have, like other things, like being comfortable with trying something. And then if it works great. Um, and then if not, I tried it, that's awesome. Like it's better than, uh, I don't know, just shutting down an idea like outright and saying like, that's not even worth considering. So, um, which I think is why I ended up working for an industrial supply company was like, why not? Let's give this a shot. And to surprise, it's a fantastic day job.
1: Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Right on. I have three questions. I ask all my guests. Um, this is at least nominally a philosophy podcast. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I like to poke at these, these, uh, questions of how do we know what's true? How do we know ourselves? Um, so Sarah, what is identity? Um, does everyone have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think?
0: Mm, God, this is such a tough one. I was kind of dreading these questions a little bit.
1: <laughs> so. That's the idea. <laughs> like, That's shoot, the idea. No,
0: <laughs> I use
1: I use these to intimidate my guests, keep them in their place.
0: Got to got to show who the the true power behind the mic is. It's, um, it's, true. it's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, identity is an interesting one because I'm not entirely sure. Like I I think I I just mentioned that it's kind of a malleable thing, but it's also <laughs> something that you can't really ever fully like know or understand. Like I will never fully know the people around me in the way that they know themselves. And at the same time, they will never know me the way that I know myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it it feels like it's this thing where like, it is a distinct thing. Everyone has one. And at the same time, you can't really like fully describe it. Like, I also don't know myself the way that other people know me. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there are other people who are much better aware of like my faults and my strengths than I am. Um, so it kind of feels like something where like no one person is ever going to fully understand or know another person's identity or even fully their own. It's just something that you're going to get asymptotically closer to, I think, as as mm-hmm. you grow and change as a person.
1: Cool. Yeah. Anytime you can work in mathematical concepts, I'm on board. Um,
0: <laughs> which is funny because I'm not remotely a mathematician. I just like the word asymptotically.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a great word. It's a great word. <laughs> I used to, I used to teach high school math back in oh, the day. Oh, awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Um, my, my one uh, subject that I was not very good at, which is why I did linguistics and humanities. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. I, um, I double majored in English and film studies in college nice. and mi- minored in math. Um, oh, and ended man. up <laughs>
0: <I> <laughs> covered for... all those bases that's yeah, awesome
1: <laughs> I, I taught for several years and kept going back and forth between English and math depending on what the district I was with needed anyway um that's a whole other story that's awesome, um though. yeah
2: yeah
1: um what is human nature are we all the same deep down are we all different deep down or are we, are we all blank slates what do you think
0: Hmm. Um, it's funny because, um, I actually come back to, uh, a piece of wall art that was in the building where I spent most of my time in grad school. There were like a Mm. couple of art installations just all around campus. Um, And uh, the art is called like instance, the determination or something like that. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's very like, I don't know, kind of a nebulous name, but the art itself was kind of nebulous. And the way that it worked was there would be a set of words on the wall, almost like a fake index for a book. So the building that I spent most of my time in actually had like next to the stairwell to get to the bathroom, um, the words human nature. And then, um, the top index entry was broken. And then mm-hmm. below that was uh, varying, imperfect, incalculable. And so, like, every time I think about human nature, like, that's kind of what I think about is, like, this mm-hmm. idea of, like, um, we're all the same in that we're all human. And we're all the same in that we're all broken, but we're all broken in very, like, different and interesting ways. Mm. Um And at the same time, it's almost impossible to like, kind of like identity, like it's impossible to like plumb those depths of like how the same and how different we are at the same time. Um, Mm. And yet I think that it's something that's worth trying to do. Like that was one of the things that drew me to linguistics was like, there's this idea of like a universal grammar, like everyone is born with like the innate ability to speak and understand language or like to to comprehend mm-hmm. language in all of its forms, whether that's spoken or signed or written or whatever. Um, and it's something that I don't think we're ever going to be able to fully map out, but I don't think that means it's not worth doing. I think like that means that it's it's almost more worth doing because we're never going to get there, but we can get close or we can get closer. It's, it's all back to the asymptote again. I guess.
1: <laughs> Let's see if you can work it into the third question. Oh um,
0: man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is, uh, what is truth? How do you know <sighs> truth? And how do you know when you found truth? Mm, I
0: don't know. Um, hmm.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure you have an interesting perspective on this as someone who gave up on being a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> which we don't have to talk about that if you don't want. But uh. Oh
0: boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I, I do still identify like as a Christian um, mm-hmm. but I'm not evangelical anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I think a lot of that does have to do in part with, well, part of, part of it has to do with my views on colonialism. Um, but also uh, it has to do with my views on understanding truth um, and how you can't really impose your own views of what is true and right in the world on somebody else, especially if they're not receptive to it. Um, I do think that there are a few things that like are definitely true. Like the sky is blue, (laughs) but I can't also say for sure that the blue that I see is the same blue that you see. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that it's my place to define that necessarily. Um, It's just my place to try to understand as best I can, like what the truth is, and then live that out. Mm -hmm. Um, Ideally, in a way that does not harm other people, but does good for them. Um, Mm. Yeah. So I, I, I think that truth is something where like, I guess kind of like identity, although I don't think I can I can work the asymptote into it. So we'll be two for three on this one. It's, it's this idea of like truth is something that like is shifting. And I think crucially, it's something that is always growing. Like there are more things that are true every single day, maybe, hmm. um, rather than like more, more stuff things.
1: happens or...
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I view it. Like time is some, like, <laughs> I, 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 like think the idea of thinking of time as like being kind of like a fractal with like different possibilities, like stretching mm, out from mm-hmm. every single, of every single thing that we do. Um, and so the opportunity, I think for truth and goodness grows and grows as time goes on is, is the mm. way that I see it.
1: Yeah. Color is a weird one. You talk yeah. about the sky being blue. It's like, well, we can we can definitely pinpoint the wavelength of the light coming out of the sky, but, um, but
0: who's to say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I mean, we, we can never know for sure whether we see colors the same way, uh, yeah. which is, which is weird to think I- about.
0: I had I mean, an ex who was colorblind. So well, there you
1: go. Then. Yeah. there was a lot
0: of time spent like just comparing like um I think he was red, green, colorblind. Mm-hmm. So like he would talk about how like trees looked silver instead of like mm-hmm. green or something like that. Yeah. So I think about that a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and there are there's there is a tiny sliver of the human population who um I believe they referred to as tetrachromats, where they can actually see four wavelengths of light instead of Whoa. the normal three that most people see. So oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think they could even describe what they see to the rest of us. because um, mm. they can see colors that we can't even imagine. So yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah it's kind of kind of weird to think like the wavelengths of light are real, but color is kind of this illusion created by your brain. So mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: And if that's the case, like what else out there (laughs) might or might not be, you know? Yeah, for sure. For Mm -hmm. sure.
1: Um, yeah, I guess, I guess there's as good a place to end as any, I mean, for the people who are listening stone that right now they're like, Whoa, but, um, Um, yeah, Sarah, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for
0: having me. This is great.
1: Yeah. Before we um, wrap up, do you want to tell people where they can find you, where they can find your work?
0: Yeah. Um, so I am all over the internet, but especially on Twitter, unfortunately, um, (laughs) under the handle, uh, Is anybody on
1: Twitter Twitter who's glad to be there? I I mean,
0: it's a dumpster (laughs) fire, but it's my dumpster fire.
1: (laughs) Just like Chicago, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I do genuinely, I think every, every single writing, project I've ever gotten I got through Twitter which is kind of wild to think about so like I
1: mean it whatever else you say about it it is a great website for networking it really is you know it is yeah um, and also like far better than LinkedIn
0: (laughs) (laughs) agreed nothing I don't think I've ever had anything good come out of LinkedIn actually but on Twitter like you get networking opportunities and you get like the most cursed memes and things like that and like where else on the planet can you get both of those? I'm here for it's,
1: it. It's great. It's yeah. really great.
0: So yeah, yeah. I'm I am on Twitter uh, under the handle Dodgy Boffin. That's D o d g y b o f f i n, all one word. Um, and if you like shouting about I don't know truth and identity and science fiction and androids, like come hit me <laughs> up because I'm all about that. <laughs> And uh, that's also where um, I tend to tweet out things like the things that I've written. Um, and occasionally you can hear me yell about the alien movies as well, um, since I wrote that book. So.
1: <laughs> right on. Well, this has been Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or at my website, luketharrington.com And I'll see you next time. It is wild to me that Sarah and I started this conversation talking about slow cinema and Ozu uh, because Yasujiro Ozu, the famous Japanese film director, has actually been hugely influential on me and the way I think about the Midwest, especially, believe it or not. Um, Now, if you're not familiar, Yasujiro Ozu uh, was a Japanese director in the mid 20th century made most of his uh, films in the 1950s, 1960s. Um, His best known film is called Tokyo Story. Um, It's just a very simple story of a a family that their grandfather dies and they have to plan the funeral. It's a very simple story. Um, And it's considered by a lot of people to be one of the best movies ever made. I agree with that assessment. I I didn't get it the first time I saw it, but the second time I watched it, I fell in love, and I've probably watched it a dozen times since. It's just a beautiful film, but you have to be extremely, extremely patient with it. It moves very, very slow. There's just just a lot of scenes of just characters sitting there silently. Um, And I mean, you know, it feels kind of pretentious to say this, but what's key to it is what's not said in addition to what is said um interesting thing about ozu um he was at a um a chinese buddhist monastery once um and there was a monk there who specialized in calligraphy and ozu had him write a single character for him um this is a character that I, I'm sure I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but it's it's um, translated transliterated into English as mu moo, like what a cow says, I guess, um, and it refers to a Buddhist concept um, of basically nothingness. Like it's essentially the word for nothingness or the void, um, which is an important concept in Buddhism. You know, this idea that you have to empty yourself before you can be filled with Enlightenment. Um, and this was so important to Ozu that he actually has it, he he had the Chinese character, the monk drew for him, copied onto his tombstone. So if you visit the grave of the film director, Yasujiro Ozu, all you will see is this Chinese character, Mu, nothingness, emptiness. Um, and this is a concept that's very much expressed in Ozu's films um, of just that there can be no beauty without an emptiness to put it into, right? And it's it's um it's an attitude you see reflected in a lot of uh, East Asian art as well, uh, Japanese and Chinese art of just this idea that the emptiness is just as important as what's filled in a in a work of art. Um, And I feel that way about the Great Plains, you know? Um, A lot of people come to a lot of the Midwest where it's flat and empty and they say this is boring. There's no mountains, there's no ocean, there's no whatever. But it is the emptiness that gives what's full meaning, right? The whole world cannot be mountains and if it were, it would be boring. You know, the whole world cannot be oceans or buttes or volcanoes or whatever else like there is a real beauty in these empty spaces that wait to be filled um, and i don't know if ozu would agree with that assessment he might be rolling in his virtually unmarked grave right now i don't know um but That's just something, that's an idea I encountered uh, um, that just really struck me and changed how I think about things. Um, And maybe it'll change how you think about things. I don't know, but that's it for this week. Um, I wanna thank Sarah for coming on the show. It was really a great joy talking to her. if you like what I'm doing and you want to support the show, um, we have a Patreon now. I talked about it in the break. Um, it is a really excellent Patreon. It, for um, $3 a month, you get every episode early. For $5 a month, you get bonus episodes every month. Um, and these are full episodes, uh, you know, full interviews with really interesting people There's one up already. It's an interview with film critic Tasha Robinson about how she learned to appreciate horror cinema. That was a really fascinating conversation. Um, So yeah, check it out. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. Um, That's at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash change my mind. If you don't want to throw money at me, which, I mean, obviously you do, but if you don't, you can help out by just giving a rating to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever else, keeps the algorithms going, helps people see it. Uh, But either way, I will see you in a couple of weeks for a conversation with uh, horror novelist John Langan, which I'm really excited about. We had a really interesting talk. So I'll see you then. Change My Mind is executive produced by Blake Collier. It's edited by Jonathan Clausen and it's presented by Raven Creek Social Club. I'm Luke T. Harrington. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind, and please don't be afraid to change your mind.